Well, hey, um, good to see you all this week. Well, she said, I'm Ryan, and it is good to be here for those of you in person and those online. We're glad you're joining us today. Um, Want to start off with, um, does anyone have a house group testimony, something that's happened in their house group this week? Or some, or some way that you experienced God's love or breakthrough, or maybe you invited someone, whether they came or didn't. Anyone got a story to share? All right, Terry, let's hear it. Lynn, could you bring the mic over to Terry? All right. We just want to celebrate stories because these are important and everyone gets to play in a vineyard, not just those that are up here. Testing, okay. Um, yes, this wasn't in our house group because we didn't have house group this past week. But um, I just want to say, if you all want to minister to people, yard sales. Because guess what? They can't go nowhere, can they? They can go in the house, but you can just sit there and wait until they come back out, right? But anyways, um, I talked with this one lady. We just had some things in common, you know, how we grew up and different things and trying to solve the world's problems, you know, together. And she told me she was going to have surgery coming up. And uh, first of all, I invited her to church. I said, hey, you all go to church anywhere? And she says, no. She said, um, I haven't found anywhere where we connect. And I said, well, I want to invite you to the vineyard. And I told her when it was and what time. She goes, oh, okay, we'll have to check it out. And then she said, I'm having surgery coming up. And I said, well, I said, I'll pray for you. And then we just kept talking. And then finally, I just felt impressed. God's like, you need to pray for her now. So uh, it was a wonderful experience. I prayed with her. And, she, and when we got done, she said, thank you so much. Because we were talking about how they only connect with couple of their neighbors, one to the right, one to the left. She goes, I don't even know anybody else in this neighborhood, you know, and that was just such a blessing, you know, just to step out and, you know, God takes that fear away once you are obedient. Amen. So it Amen. was, it was awesome. Thanks, so, Terry. Thanks for sharing. So start yard sailing, people. All right, this is for youth-type people this week, because I got another one of these sweatshirts. It's not big enough for, like, me. Um, but from the, uh, from the church in Uganda, church begins on Monday. Sunday is garage time, which meant, like, that we're the church throughout the week. So Sunday is garage time. Like, you just come here for, like, the oil change to tune up, air on your tires, sort of thing. So it's beyond this. So let me ask you guys, discipling question. What are the three things we have on the wall out front? What are the three things we're supposed to do? Any of you know it? It's in the youth room, too. Can you think of it? Give me, someone give me one. What's the first thing that we do? No, what you got? I saw your hand. Impact the world's the last one, so that's the out. What's the up? Love God. What's the second thing? Make disciples. There you go. You got it. So, collective effort. You guys can share the sweatshirt. So, um, just wash it before you share it. Um, so, hey, a little housekeeping. I don't like to do this stuff, but it's part of the part of the role. So, we have lots of kids around here. If you guys didn't notice, we have lots of students, lots of children, lots of babies. We're going to ask all parents if you bring kids that 
if you bring them, that we want you to know we do not view our children's nursery and youth ministries as babysitting services. We are making disciples that make disciples that make disciples across all strata of our church. Yeah. <laughs> clap away, and I hope you clap harder after this part. <laughs> if you're a parent or a grandparent who brings your kids or grandkids, we're gonna ask that you at least every other month sign up to serve in that ministry. Because discipling the children is not our primary responsibility, it's yours. Yeah, it's yours. We exist to come alongside you to, put, to give you teaching, training, tactics, resources that you need to disciple the people you love and that you're close to. So we're gonna ask you to sign up. And so that means, what do I do? Well, there's a bunch of ways you can get involved. You can see Scott, you can see Autumn, you can see Steve and Nikki, you can see them, and there's just tons of ways you can get involved. It could be coming in to clean the nursery or, or helping out with like a student event, or maybe like you're like, I don't know if I wanna to go to youth group, but I love to disciple people. Talk to Scott, start a discipleship group. There's all kinds of different things you can do, but the fact is everyone gets to play and everyone needs to play. Everyone needs to play. That we, we, are, we had an awesome volunteer celebration on uh, Wednesday night. And this is a church so many people serve. So many people serve. And we're so thankful for those that do. It's just we have so many kids and it's a blessing that we need more safe, healthy leaders. Because here's why. Part of it is because we have so many people that serve every week and never take a break. And they want to come to church too. They want to come in here sometimes and receive a message, drink a cup of coffee, just worship freely. And some people aren't even getting to do that because of our shortage. So um, I'm not going to say any more, but we want you to know that the expectation here is, is if, if this is your church home, not if you're visiting the first time, if this is your church home, that if you have a student or a child or a baby who benefits from the student, uh, uh, student kids ministries here, that we want you to sign up to serve at least bi-monthly in one of those arenas, all right? Whoa, I, I, I didn't expect that. Thank you. I was expecting like a bunch of rotten tomatoes after that. Like, whoa. Like, uh, no, for those of you that serve, you know what I'm talking about. So we thank you for those of you that do. So after that announcement, um, it, it kind of feeds in, uh, um, oddly enough. Anxiety is a huge issue in our culture. Um, According to recent surveys, more Americans than ever are stressed, depressed, and anxiety-ridden. Nearly 40 million people in the United States, which is 12% of our population, experience an anxiety disorder in any given year. Anxiety disorders are most common and pervasive in, and show up in the arenas of mental illness, um, autoimmune disorders, uh, relational fissures, job loss, stresses, and even suicide. I was reading a story recently, several years ago, me and Carla went to this conference um, for a week-long thing down in Polly's Island, South Carolina, and we were at a big church called Seacoast. And Seacoast is a really cool, big, impressive church in South Carolina and some other states, and they have multi-sites. And one of the pastors there, I learned, um, Darren Patrick, who's a speaker, author, um, you know, uh, leader, 
died in May of 2020. And according to Seacoast, um, where he was the teaching pastor, he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And a longtime friend of Patrick's noted that pastors often don't know what to do when they struggle. They attempt to keep up appearances and handle struggles on their own. He said, we don't feel like we can ask for help. And it kind of struck me as we're in week four of our um, Elephant in the Room series that like anyone can fall prey to mental, to mental illness, to mental brokenness, to mental health issues that a lot of people in our congregation, in our world, are struggling with this challenge. That it hasn't gotten better in the last two years. I think like a year inside actually made it, like the rate of increase a lot more than ever before. And um, I think anxiety and suicide can affect anyone of any age, of any gender, any race, any socioeconomic status, place in life, spiritual, um, spiritual condition, and it's not, not just pastors that struggle with secrets to hide. Numerous studies have uh, related anxiety directly to suicide. Compared to those without anxiety, patients with an anxiety disorder were much more likely to have suicidal ideations, attempted and completed suicides, or suicidal activity. And I think before like, the pandemic, millions of people were struggling. And as we're talking about in this series, we're just trying to keep it real. That's why it's elephant in the room. Like there's this big stuff that a lot of us are struggling with and wrestling with. And it's ravaging or has ravaged our families, those we loved, um, or, or it may in the future. And we want to be a church that talks about the real stuff. We don't want to just like kumbaya kind of crap. You know, we want to talk about the real stuff. Because Jesus said that, like, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. So there's a real world out there. Like, actually, the, the world that we can't see is much more, world, much more real than the world we can. Do you know that? The stuff we can't see is more real than the stuff we can. Because all this stuff's fading. So it's more enduring. It's more lasting. It's been forever. It'll go on forever. And, and that's the stuff we're up against that we're up against. According to an August 13, 2020 uh, uh, report by the CDC and Prevention, one in four young adults said they had considered suicide during the COVID pandemic lockdown. Roughly 30.9% of respondents said they'd experienced symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, and I think it's interesting to note, and I may be skipping ahead, but there were more suicides in 2020 by the, by the end of May than there was in 2018 and 2019, the whole year. So the isolation that we've dealt with has not done us any favors. I mean, think about that. In a whole year, globally, there was more suicides in five months. I think people are hurting. I think people are alone. And I think a lot of people haven't known how to exactly come out of it. Because people haven't known how do you enter back into fellowship? How do you enter back into public? How do you enter back into family events and like the social arena? Like how do we manage that? And I think a lot of people are looking for something. 
but I think they're afraid to reach out. And, and, and the stuff that goes on underneath a lot of times, like the whole sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. Like there's something in that. Like it's such, that's a, it's a bald-faced lie. Because the stuff that we can't see, the stuff underneath can be much more tormenting than any stub toe, broken nail, broken bone, right? Like that torment that goes on inside, the pain, the loss, the grief, the fear, the, sometimes when you can't even get out of bed, sometimes you can't even move, sometimes you come into a situation and your breath gets taken away and you don't know why. Or like, why when I'm around certain people, why when I'm around my family, why when I'm around, you know, whatever, these certain people, why do I act ways that I acted when I was four years old? or when I was 15 years old? Or why can I not stop acting four years old or 15 years old? Like, we get stuck in these places of trauma and grief, and the anxiety that goes with it is insurmountable for so many folks. Do you know that two times more people die annually almost from suicide than homicide in our country? Think of that, almost double. According to the CDC, again, suicide rates have increased 25% nationally from 1999 to 2016, and they rose in nearly every state. And actually, um, they've risen by another 5% almost since 2016. So we're seeing about a 30% increase in the amount of people that are taking their own lives in our country. And suicide... um, It's the second leading cause of death for Americans the ages 10 to 34. Second to only overdose deaths. Um, And they're vastly higher in children under the age of 13 than any point in our nation's history according to 2020 research, 2021 research. And then I saw this and this is crazy. And these are a lot of stats. But 2017 suggested that one-third out of all Americans have a family member or a close personal friend who's committed suicide. Third. An article in the New England Journal of Medicine that I was looking through noted that during public, um, public health emergencies, emotional distress is ubiquitous and affected across all strata of populations. Ubiquitous just means it's everywhere. And counselors cited the obvious that the isolation and strain caused by state home restrictions have led to myriad types of psychological harm. Like, it's interesting, during the lockdown, and I know you're like, why are you bringing this up, dude? We're kind of past it. Well, during that time, porn sales, booze sales, drug sales were an all-time high. When you take those things whether for the first time or more times, it puts a hole in your soul. It puts a gap, and it it doesn't do anything. Like, that stuff's not the issue, but it covers the issues, and it creates issues. And we have a culture full of people with major issues because of stress and loneliness and anxiety that's unchecked, that's not taken care of, that's not talked about. And... I think that um, 
I think this affects a lot of us. This affects a lot of us. I think that... Um, I know my family has been ravaged by suicide. I've had three people in my family in less than 25 years that are all under the age of 30 that killed themselves. Two by gunshot, one by hanging. And several other attempts by other people. And generally at the root of it, is just deep systemic wounding that's never been dealt with. Isolation. Isolation that people on these issues, whether it's in COVID, whether it's in um, whatever, that this stuff, it, it rocks people. And we need to be aware of um, how hard this is for people to, to work through and to live through. Maybe you've lived through it. Maybe you've had to deal with this. Maybe you've had to, um, maybe you've had to endure it. Maybe you have someone close to you. Maybe you have a child. Maybe you have a parent. Maybe you have an aunt or uncle or a cousin. Maybe you have someone who this has happened to. Factors that generally contribute to suicide um, have been found to be relational problems. A crisis in the past two or the upcoming two weeks. Problematic substance abuse, physical health problems, job or financial issues, criminal or legal issues, loss of housing. The bottom line is too many people have little or no hope. That's the bottom line. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is because, um, like I said, I think the church for far too long has been ignorant, has been silent, hasn't said enough about this stuff. And we're the ones that they call after it happens. But not enough people are calling us before it happens. And if we are doing our jobs and we're reaching people and reaching into people's lives and loving people and being a shelter from the storm instead of a castle with a drawbridge that only opens on Sundays, we're gonna have more access to people that are hurting. We're gonna have more access to real conversations, to deep relationships, to meaningful, to meaningful connections with people where they are in life. And I, I think one of the really deep problems is we have such an um, interesting eye society that we, all, that we have our best lives on Facebook, but then we're like someone else in public and we all want, like, as Americans, we like to project strength. And I asked some of my friends that I met when I was over in Africa, Coisco, and they said, what would you say is the thing that you see most when you see Americans? They said, we see strength, that people want to come across as strong, like they've got it together. Whatever it is, they're sure of it. And I thought, it's so interesting that we have such a culture of feebleness. I mean, you can't tell anyone anything now without them getting butt hurt, can you? Like, you can't tell anyone anything without someone, like, getting all weepy or all pissy about whatever it is, about, like, you know, that, like, you can ask me about how my kids are, but don't really ask me what they think about me. 
Or you can ask me how my job is, but you know, don't, don't ask me what I'm really feeling or what I'm really doing. Or don't challenge me. Don't challenge me. We have such a low challenge society. And it's like we have a, a <clears throat> it's a powder keg. Like we are ready to pop as a culture. We are ready to pop. I mean, anyone mad about gas prices? Anyone just like feel like you want to drive by with like a missile and just like, and whoever? I mean, like, it's just like, and we're ready to pop. And I think that there's stuff that you can't heal or change which you don't acknowledge. And if we don't start making spaces for our own souls or the souls of others to really be able to share and grieve and express and hear people's stories, like, we're never going to make an impact. We're never gonna make an impact if we don't do that. Because I think of all the people that are hurting that um, just no one ever knew. I mean, people had ideas, but the three people in my family who killed themselves, he, he didn't really have an idea. I mean, one of my aunts was about to graduate and she got accepted like in the med school. She was in a nursing program, was gonna go into med school and she did so great and just broke up their boyfriend and gone. You know, it's just, no one really knew. No one really knew. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe you come in here today, maybe, maybe you're struggling with this. Maybe suicidal ideation overwhelms you at times. I believe there's probably some people here that that's you today that this is real for you. And I know this is like not fuzzy today. It's not, it's not meant to be. The stuff is grotesque, it's ubiquitous because we all are dealing with it on some level. And I don't mean grotesque in the sense of like that you're gross if you're dealing with it, but there's just like, there's this oppression in people's souls that's not, that's not from God. Like the enemy's gross. He's a monster, he's a leech, he's a liar, he's a murderer. And he would love for nothing more than to every family in America, every family in the world have someone that kills themselves. He would love it. That's who he is. That's how he is. <clears throat> I remember the first time I ever dealt with suicide in seventh grade and eighth grade, there was guys in my class that took their lives. And it, and I remember that um, one of the kids was a total bully. The other kid was a total object of mocking and ridicule. Like, I made fun of this kid incessantly. <clears throat> I made fun of him so much, how he talked, how he looked. And um, actually, it wasn't in eighth grade. It was in ninth grade. And I remember I gave my life to Christ in ninth grade. And I was at this youth group. And this kid, Scott, shows up. And I tried to walk up to him and say, hey, man. And he just walked by me. And he said, you know, go to, go to you know where. And I remember a couple weeks later, he killed himself. And he mentioned me in a, his suicide note about how cruel I was to him. And man, I'll tell you what, that, that, that puts a hole in you. Because I, I was a terrible, terrible person. Terrible. 
I've been a terrible person. My sister's here. She can testify. I was horrible to her as a kid. I was horrible. I was mean, nasty, cruel, violent. <clears throat> and then to get mentioned in a suicide note, like that's the kind of stuff that um, sticks to your ribs. And it really, it started having an impact on me about the way I treated people, about the way I thought about people, about the way I spoke to people. And um, it's the worst feeling in the world. It's really embarrassing to say that. It's really embarrassing that like, you're mentioning someone's suicide note. But it's the facts. Like, so whether you're dealing with this or, or not, the way you treat people, the way I treat people, has an effect on their mental health. The way people feel about themselves, their, their esteem, has an effect on their mental health. Sometimes I walk around the church and um, sometimes I gotta admit, I'm astonished and embarrassed by some of the filth, some of the ridiculous humor that comes out of people's mouths. I thought like, man, we're redeemed for more than this. We don't sound any different than the world. And I'm not saying that I'm not a culprit sometimes, but I'm, I'm just saying like in general, man, like God, God wants so much more to come out of our mouths towards people than just the usual stuff everyone else talks about. He really does. He really does. And Jesus, like friends, we, we are Jesus' answer to many of the problems in this world. You and I are the answer. We're the light of the world. We're his spokespeople. We're his representatives. We're his emissaries. We're the ones who go on his behalf. We're his ambassadors who go to represent his kingdom to other people. And, you know, people, people need hope. People need help. People need people that care. People need people to share, to share their stories. Like to not, like listen, I wasn't gonna come up here today and just give a clinical overview of suicide. I, I listened to a couple messages that, and, and these people talked and they just literally talked clinically about the suicide and what the Bible said. And I'm like, no. I got people in my family that kill each other. No, I push someone to it. I push someone to it. Because our stories matter. Other people's stories matter. Us sharing the gospel, like what Jesus has done to us, through us, that gives people hope. And I'm not proud of it. But I, I think I'm a different person than I was all those years ago. That do our stories, like I love in Jesus' prayer, really I would say is the Lord's prayer in John 17, Matthew chapter six, I would call the disciples' prayer when the disciples say, teach us how to pray. John 17, when Jesus prays, I love one of the, uh, one of the translations of it is, is Jesus says that Lord, by their love and what, by your doing, he said, that, he said, will you do all this in them so people will know that I came. Like Jesus is talking about like the love he's bequeathing, the honor, the shared human, um, what he's doing amongst people. And he's like, and so they'll know that I came. Do our lives show that he came? <clears throat> Do the way we engage the lost show that he came? Because he came to seek and save the lost. 
do our lives show that he came because he told us to make disciples because you're a disciple? Like, is my life one that is being transformed by the power of the cross? When people look at me, when they look at you, do they know that he came? Does it surprise people if you tell them you go to church? Or would it surprise people if they know, like, you're a Christian and it's so much different than all the garbage they've seen in the news? That, oh, that's what love looks like. Oh, that's what hope looks like. That's what joy looks like. See, friends, the only answer to the question, the only answer to the pain is Christ in us. That's it. There's no other way. That is it. There's no other answer to that question. And so whether you've walked through suicide with someone you love or you struggle with that, and God forbid maybe that's something that happens, the only answer is Christ in us. But this isn't stuff that catches God off guard. And Acts chapter 16 says this, verses 25 through 30. About, about uh, midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were in jail for casting a demon out of a girl who was uh, basically a fortune teller. And she was annoying them. And Paul just looks around at her and said, annoyed, come out of her. Can you imagine that's like Paul's deliverance? Like, like he knew she was demon-possessed for days, but finally because he was annoyed, he cast it out of her. Um, but Paul and Simus, Silas were praying <clears throat> and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. <clears throat> so the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourselves for we're all here. He called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to stop there for a minute. The guy was about to kill himself. Have you ever been in a place where you just, you wanted to be curtains? That you knew the trouble, the judgment, the condemnation, what was going to come was just too heavy. It was just too much. Like who, who could bear what's going to come? And just like statistics show, this guy was in immediate crisis. And Paul said, Stop. He said, stop, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. <clears throat> and I know he's talking to that guy, but wouldn't that be cool if people would know about people in the vineyard and that when we look into people, it's like, like, stop, don't harm yourself, we're here. Yeah. We're, there's a house group in your neighborhood. There's a person who lives next door to you. There's a friend of your brother's. There's a friend of whoever. Stop, don't harm yourself, we're here. You have the power of that. Stop. Do not harm yourself. We're here. And he said he fell down. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you know when we reach out, whether you're struggling, you are called to reach out. No one can make you reach out. And now I'm telling us to go be the church, but some of you who are maybe struggling, share this stuff. That mold grows in the dark. 
Mold grows in the dark. And the best way for that, maybe that thought you're having, that you have this thought, maybe you're like, I don't even know where this came from, but man, I have this fixation with dying. Shine the light on it. Tell someone and watch how that thing dissipates. Watch how that thing dissipates. I remember um, several years ago, we were in a really rough spot in our marriage. Really rough spot. I was really broken, had a lot of pain, had some um, real issues, and um, our marriage was about to break up. Just could not get out of my own way with like this addictive cycle that I was in. And and then I remember in one day, um, just one fell swoop, finding out that an adoption that we had had that we were going to, uh, that we were stepping into or a lot of money into an international adoption fell through. A couple minutes later, I get a call from someone, someone really close to, we loaned like our entire savings to this person and basically just told us like the money's gone. And then got some really bad news at work, a car broke down and I just stepped into the waters again and just made a bad decision. And I remember that afternoon, it was literally, it felt, you know, tantamount to the book of Job, all this like stuff that, in a row. I remember just when I got home, um, I was like thinking, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Jesus, I can't fight this battle. I've slipped again. I can't do this anymore. I can't get freedom all my money's gone, this adopt, like this lifelong goal, it's like, it's all done. It's all done. I didn't know if my marriage could bear any more strain. I just, I remember where I was and I was concocting this plan, like how I was gonna end my life that day. And I just remember where I was and and I cried out to Jesus. I said, Jesus, why are you doing all this? I wanna die. I can't take it anymore. I don't know if God talks to you. Sometimes God talks to me. And it's very interesting. I kind of heard in my spirit this chuckle okay, this is either my mind's playing really weird tricks or God's a jerk, is what I thought. (laughs) And he said, that's really good, Ryan. That's actually what I've always wanted for you. I've always wanted you to die and let me live. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I will fight this for you. I will do this, what no one else can do. I will return the years the locusts have eaten, and I will do this for you. But you have to die. And not at the means you're thinking of. You have to start letting parts of your life die so my life can live. Because he's like, the old one and the new one can't coexist. You'll love one and hate the other. And he said, this tension that you keep living with is because there's stuff that's not dead yet. I remember I literally just fell on my knees and I just started crying. Just fell on my knees. 
end. It's kind of like Paul, like, stop, don't. I'm here with you. Don't. Don't do this. But there is another way. You can't just keep white-knuckling this. You can't just keep trying. Like, let me fight this fight for you. Let me have this. You have to learn how to die. And you, maybe you're struggling with this off and on. You have to learn how to die. To yourself, to die to that thought, how to take that captive, how to start walking in the spirit, how to let Jesus do what only he can do. Something has to die. And the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants it to be you. He wants to be your kid. He wants to be your spouse. He wants to be your mom or dad. He wants it. He's glad that it's whoever in your life, maybe he's already done it. He loves it, and he wants more of it. And the only way to stop it is to let the life of Christ start reigning in your life more. To start to let the life of Christ show to other people more that are struggling. That's the only way. And I remember I woke up the next morning and it was beautiful out. It was beautiful out. I called into work. I just, I needed a mental health day. Those are good to take. Listen, if you need to, sometimes clear your head. That is okay. You are not, you, sometimes the best thing we can do is take a break. Like, there's people who die and people who are dying on the vine because they never take a Sabbath. Like, honestly, if you can never take a day off and you're anxious and you're upset and you're fried and you're angry all the time, stop, look no further than that you have rhythms in your life that are going to propel you to burnout because it's not the way. Jesus made that you've had life abundantly. Not life always working. Work's part of the, there, there is a joy in working, but there's also a curse in it, right? It's hard. That's why it's called work. And if we can never defrag to spend time with the people we love, to never invest in ourselves, to never relax, to never enjoy, that a lot of people have mental health issues because burnout in America is higher than anywhere else because we work more than any country in the world by a lot. Because it's that power, it's that self-sufficiency. We got it together, we're strong. We gotta have more money. Our kids gotta have it better than us. That, do you know that's a lie? You know, your kids will be okay if they don't have it better than you had it. Right. They, they will be okay. You know what your kids need? They need people that are involved, not people that give them presents. People that are involved make disciples. People that give presents nonstop and just work to pay for them make brats or make lonely kids, or make purposeless kids. And there's a lot that God wants to do if we can just reorient the priorities of our lives around him. And I remember I woke up, and it was beautiful out. And I just went for a drive. And I put my sunroof down, and I just looked, and it was so beautiful out. And I thought, Lord, what if I had, what if I had done that yesterday? What if I had done that? Like, and the thing is, when you're hearing those voices, the lie of it is, is this, all, is this is all there is. There's no way this can get better. And my problems weren't fixed like that next day, but it was almost like the sunlight. And at the, um, at the, at the stoplight I was at, when a, like, like a monarch butterfly flew right over my sunroof. 
It's almost like better was already happening just because I wasn't in a hole. I didn't have a hole in my head. Friends, there, a lot of times the night is darkest before the dawn. And we want to make space today to pray for people. We want to um, make space, if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with massive anxiety, if you're struggling with mental health, if you're struggling with, um, maybe, I think there's some of you here that don't, I think that there's consternation and confusion because we had two very, um, what would seem like maybe competing messages when uh, Millen and Amber spoke and Margie and Lucas. I think that there's some people that that's messed with. If you're on medicine or struggling with it, like which is right, which is one. It's like, listen, we're, we're not here to judge. We didn't, we didn't come here to judge anyone. But we know there's hope. We know that the hope is not just a pill. Now, that might be something God gives to do it. We know that the hope is not just counseling. He might give counseling. The hope is a deeper personal relationship with Jesus. And through our pain through our weakness, through our brokenness, whether we're on medicine or with a counselor or in a group or we're in CR, all those things are meant to point us to Jesus, not just to numb us and dumb us to a point to where we're just like, you know, disengaged from reality in our lives. So if you feel like those messages were kind of disparate and you don't know what to make of it, we want to pray for you today. Because they, they, we're just trying to tell the whole story. We're trying to tell the whole story of where people are. And just because someone got off medicine doesn't mean that you can or can't, and it doesn't mean that you will. We're just talking that someone did. And just because someone's on medicine and you're not, it doesn't mean that they're a loser or they have less faith than you. It just means that's part of their journey and that's helping them. And they're getting that. We're, we're telling the whole story, but we want to pray today, wherever you are with mental health, with anxiety, or maybe someone you love has mental health issues, or maybe suicide, you've had the pain of a loved one who's died and you've never grieved that properly. Or maybe you deal with those thoughts. We wanna release just, I'm gonna ask you to pray where you are. Band, if you guys can just start just playing underneath me, please. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna call the prayer teams up, but I just want everyone to um, just sit where you are. And just put your hands out like this if you don't care. Like Lucas said, it's just kind of a posture of receiving a gift. And it might be spooky or whatever, but I wanna ask you first, and prayer team, I want you to join in this prayer before you go into the mode. If you will spread out all the way across the stage, that'd be awesome. Teams, scoot down. No more than two, about eight feet apart would be perfect. Thank you. Um, Wherever you are, if you've thought about suicide, been affected by someone that's committed suicide, or just mental health issues, or you just, maybe today I've spoken something, you're here for the first time and you don't know Jesus. Is there anyone here that's like, man, you've spoken to me and I don't know Jesus and I want hope? Is there anyone here today who would say, I, I don't know Jesus and this is filling my heart with some joy, some feelings that I've never had before? Is there anyone? Yeah. Slip your hand up. We're not going to embarrass you. Everyone should be looking at just eyes shut besides me anyways. But Father, we just receive you. We receive your healing. We receive your hope. We receive your cleansing. We receive your power today. 
would you meet us today in our pain? If it's from ourselves or from others or just pain of compassion from people we know, would you meet us today, Jesus? And would you make a way when it seems like there's no way? When no one else can reach us, Lord, you're the God who finds us.